this is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben off the cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Uh, solo job today, just myself, but we've got Matt Law. It's a Matt Law special. Uh, he's back joining us, going to give us all the updates on the incomings and outgoings. And just uh, after a heated Chelsea Tottenham match, Matt, you have much to talk about today. How's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. We're getting used to this, just the two of us, aren't we? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Very good. But yeah, it's been a busy week. What with transfer window and everything that went on Sunday, it's been a... Uh, yeah, it feels like the season has really started uh, this this last sort of week or so. That's right. Yeah, matches are playing, uh, deals continuing to be had, uh, meals continuing to be had, and here we are. So, uh, jumping right into it, uh, out of left field, uh, immediately after the full time whistle between. Uh, Chelsea and Anthony Taylor's Dan sarcastically wrote, uh, word started leaking that Chelsea made a bid for Anthony Gordon from Everton, which was immediately rejected by the Toffees, apparently around 40 million pounds. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. My reading of this is slightly different. Um, and I, I, I know people get told different things. So I wouldn't want to say I'm right and everyone else is wrong or anything like that. The, the rumor sort of was swirling around at Stamford Bridge on, on Sunday about Anthony Gordon interest in Anthony. Gordon and it was a little bit awkward because obviously the match was going on we all had other things to do as well but I, I was told on the Sunday that uh, the whole 40 million thing was very informal that there were that was that was talks at that stage that obviously I think probably talks had started at the back end of last week which obviously had had been kept quite secret to start with um, and they were talking around the 40 million figure uh, which Everton made it clear they wouldn't sell at look what's a bid and what's not a bid but i was told that wasn't actually a bid it was a bit like we've talked about around some of the fafana stuff before that there were a lot of talks and, and they were talking around 40. however on monday absolutely certainly um and no disputing the fact from anyone uh chelsea made a 45 million pound bid uh which got rejected very late monday night i think um and yeah, it has it has come as a bit of a surprise. It has come as a bit of a surprise. It's not one that had been mentioned to me. It's not one that had been out there on people's radar. I do wonder whether it's come about with the fact that Chelsea could lose a lot of wide players in this window and they've therefore looked. And also, I do think it's come about of a wider... Uh, a wider philosophy of this ownership, actually, which is becoming clearer and clearer to try and sign up both uh, the top sort of European talent, but also the top English talent. I know they've spoken to a lot of the agencies who have a lot of the sort of most sort of England under 21, England under 19, England under 18 players. Apart from trying to do relate, make relationships with all the sort of super agents, as it were, I know they're trying to get in to the agents who have a lot of England youth players um, because Obviously, England under-19s won the European Championships this summer. England have a very good crop of young players throughout the age ranges. Um, and we saw it with Carney Chukwameka. Um, and this this is a philosophy of theirs. And even though Anthony Gordon is a first-team player, he fits into that philosophy. England under-21 international. I think he's someone that Chelsea have run some data on and believe that in a couple of years could be worth sort of, you know, almost double the 40 million they started talking about. And also that 
there'll be a lot of competition for him at some stage in his career. So they're, they're sensing an opportunity with Everton and they're trying to strike. Um, and like I said, I think they're just trying to grasp a, a chance here. And whether they do or not, I think the interest will will actually continue as well. Okay. Um, obviously, they're struggling with attacking options. Is there a door for Billy? Is he a part of this in, in that sense? Because obviously, they're going to need some attacking options. Callum Hudson-Odoi is looking at loan moves. Do you think that it'll kind of be like a Brighton with Kukurea where it's informally another player going in the other direction? If it was any of them, it would be Brozier, I think. But there's a lot of moving parts to that because I think Chelsea would have to have the signing of a Bamiyang or another striker in the bag to be able to to allow that to happen or even talk about they still might not allow it to happen but to even talk about that but if there's one that Frank and Everton really want and really need at the moment um even though he's he loves Gilmore he loves Gallagher it's it's Brozier because they're desperate for a striker and I'm told that Brozier is Frank's number one target um but as I say there's a lot there's other moving parts to that because I think even to have that discussion, Chelsea would have to be very sure of one coming in. Um, and even then, with that discussion, they might not be that keen. But I think if if, if an Aubameyang or someone else came in, maybe there'd be talks around that. But again, a bit like uh, Colwell, as you mentioned, um, whether it was a loan or a permanent deal, I, I think it would be separate because we've talked about the fact they like to do these things separately and the agents like to think, do think these things separately. But it's just going to be a bit of a, so I think it was going to be a little bit of a wait and see on that. Um, I know Everton value Gordon at over, well over 50 million. I see, I can see Chelsea making another bid, but I don't see them going well over 50 million. I mean, bear in mind, they only paid 50 million for Raheem Sterling. And I know they paid more than that for Cucurella. Um, but I, I could spend close to 50, but I'd be pretty surprised if they went in, in much over 50 again. But the, the lad wants to join. The lad 100% wants to join Chelsea, which again feeds into everything because clubs have to take a very pragmatic stance when they know that players want to make a move because it, it can make things very difficult to hold on to them. Yeah, it'll be interesting with squad composition, how things shake out. Like you said, a lot of wide attacking players, there's a couple more that have been uh, touched, you know, linked with that we'll touch on. But um it, does this, you know, there's other attacking options out there. Zaha is heading into the last year of his deal. And I know he's almost shopping himself, kind of putting his own valuation out there on Twitter. Um, but as far as this, is this just Chelsea looking to bolster their attacking options as they head to the close of the transfer window? I think it's, yeah, I think it's, like I said, I think it's a couple of things. I think it is this philosophy on, on getting in quick on the best English and European talent, which we're seeing across the board with Chelsea. And I do think it's, they're looking at squad competition, uh, com- composition. Sorry, um, I-, I think you're right that they're they're very aware. I think that at least one, if not two, more wide players will probably go before the transfer window shuts. Um, obviously, Werner's already gone. Sterling sort of replaced him, but they're still a Lukaku down. Uh, even if they get a striker in, Pulisic and Ziyech both futures up in the air, Hudson Adoy is almost certain to go out on loan. So they've got to look at that composition. They can't just leave themselves, you know, I, I spoke last week to you about the fact that I thought Ziyech would have to hang around and wait to see if they they bolstered those positions a little bit before he could be sure of going because they can't just let them all go and not have any wide players. You can't just have a season where you're only relying on, on Mount and 
and Raheem Sterling in those wide positions. It's just not realistic in this crazy schedule year we have where teams want to carry bigger squads as well. I think all clubs across the Premier League are probably going to carry bigger bigger squads than they normally would do. Okay. Um, the, the next one, speaking of that, is Pulisic potentially being on the move. Links with Newcastle, United, Juventus, Atletico Madrid which sounds like his agent probably putting out as many feelers as possible to see what bites. But um, it seems like they're only interested in loans now. Obviously, he's thinking very much about the World Cup and lack of minutes under Tuchel. Uh, you know, I, I read that he hadn't missed a, a match due to injury since last October, so he's on a strong run from a health standpoint. Um, what's, uh, what's going on with our uh, national team captain over there, Matt? Yeah, the, the, the Man United interest is absolutely real. I think an interesting side plot of that actually is that Pulisic's agent, Rob Moore, looks after Benny McCarthy, who has gone in as a coach at Manchester United in this new setup. I think he's a striker coach or something. Um, so there's a there's a, a link there already. Um, they definitely want to do a loan. I was trying to think today whether a, a sort of top... I know, we don't, I know Man United probably aren't going to finish in the top four, but whether... What any of the traditional top four rivals have ever loaned a player to one another. They've obviously done deals between themselves, but a loan would be quite unique, I think. Um, and yet the Newcastle interest is definitely legitimate as well. I mean, Amanda Staveley and her husband, uh, Mohad Gadusi, were, were both in the Clear Lake box on Sunday, which was a little bit odd. But um, it makes sense for, for Chelsea to seek that strategic partnership in a way, because they do need a club that they can sell to uh with the european market so difficult and newcastle are one of the few who would be able to potentially afford the wages and and some of the fees involved with chelsea players and they'll also want strategic partners in the meetings and because they're both sort of new ownerships uh they're not having to break through sort of long-standing relationships so it makes sense that they they are making strategic partners albeit obviously the saudi arabia link makes everyone a little bit nervous um but Pulisic is 100% on their list. I would imagine that Chelsea would much rather send Pulisic on loan to Newcastle. But Pulisic is definitely interested in Man United. And I would imagine that Pulisic would rather go on loan to Manchester United if he were getting certain guarantees, despite the mess that is Manchester United. Interesting thing on Pulisic, I've been very critical of him over the last few months. And I, I will stand by my opinion that I think he's been largely disappointing within good performances but not being able to actually produce the final impact however i should in fairness to him say that before the weekend i had to run a load of attacking stats on both um tottenham and chelsea and uh, over the last you like these calendar years i know but over the last calendar year pulisic is uh, goals stroke assists per 90 is the best of any chelsea player he's obviously played a lot less games than a lot but he has a very strong I think it was something like 110 minutes which was even a little bit better than Raheem Sterling at Manchester City um, it's a very strong goals or assists per game which took me by surprise I've got to say so whether United have done a bit of data and, and come up with similar things on him but if it weren't United I'd be saying that Chelsea would drive Pulisic somewhere to try and get him going he's only got two years left of his contract he's not going to play much he's unhappy at the moment they wouldn't be able to get a very good fee for him so sending him on loan makes total sense you know mm. if you could get him to Newcastle for instance on loan total sense go 
let him go there, hope he does phenomenally, boost his value, boost the amount of suitors in for him, still one year left on his contracts, and then try and sell next summer. My gut feeling is they probably still would consider a loan move from Manchester United because of all of that scenarios, but there has to be a little bit of doubt over the sense of sending a player on loan to what you would traditionally deem a rival, although recent history would, would suggest that United are no threat to Chelsea whatsoever. Yeah, you know, I think uh, <laughs> it still has that little bit of, mm, I'm not really sure I like this, but uh, as an American fan, it's definitely a little bit uh, conflicting for me. But um, it, there's also what the club needs and what's best. But again, if he goes out to Callum, potentially looking at loan, we just come back to the squad composition. And then after the weekend, we had all these chances, didn't score more goals, super frustrating. So then the Aubameyang links heat up even more, which makes sense because Chelsea have put on display an even bigger need for like an out-and-out goal scorer. Are we expecting Chelsea to go back to Barcelona and say, hey, where are we at with this? I know you guys are going to yeah. talk about him. Yeah. Um, talks talks picked up anyway over the weekend, I was told. Um Chelsea, Chelsea certainly, to my knowledge at the moment, and we're lunchtime on, on Wednesday, haven't made a formal offer yet. Um, but I, I was told over last weekend that, that talks had picked up and they were talking about numbers and they were trying to get a sense of what Barcelona want. And Chelsea were probably a lot more clear in their interest in Aubameyang than they had been previously when the issue had been skirted around a little bit more. I spoke to somebody on Monday and it was very clear that Aubameyang is a number one sort of striking target and that because of what happened at the weekend, we missed chances. Getting that striker, if they can do, is seen as a, as a massive thing for them. Um, I think this week will be key. I personally think there will be some sort of bid this week, whether it be informal or formal. Obviously, again, <laughs> the semantics of that are always a little bit difficult. Um, but I certainly think numbers will be talked about a lot this week. Um, discussions are ongoing this week. Aubameyang's agents have remained in Barcelona now for over a week, and they don't they don't have offices in Barcelona. They don't usually reside in Barcelona. So I think that's a big point as well. Aubameyang's now back off holiday, I think I saw this week. I think the next few days are going to be quite a big few days. I'm not saying it will get done or get not done in the next few days. I just think there'll be a lot of crucial talks the next few days but it's very clear now to Barcelona that Chelsea want to do a deal um it's whether they're prepared to hit sort of Barcelona's numbers because it it also seems pretty clear that Barcelona have a valuation that they will actually sell for I'm told if they can get 25 million euros which is about 21 million pounds that it actually gives them quite a lot more freedom in what they can do in terms of player registrations and stuff particularly with the wages that they would save on um I don't fully understand that situation, but I am told that that, that number is a little bit of a magic number in the short term for them. That number, actually, to me, 21 million for a Bamiyang, even at 33, if his wages aren't silly, I don't think that's that's a bad number. And you could probably negotiate something a little bit under that in any case. If you could get him for just under 20 million and on a, a decent salary that's not breaking the bank, I actually think that's pretty good business. Because, I, again, I spoke to someone on Monday and was trying to say, are there any rabbits without naming names, are there any rabbits you could pull out the hat out there? And they're just saying, you tell us, you know, where are these rabbits? You know, come and, come and tell us that there really aren't, there really aren't. There's, there's not, 
there's not something spectacularly clever you can do out there. Um, so yeah, Aubameyang is, is I think is going to get very very interesting. All right. Well, and we... I, I, look, I think it's the best thing. I've, I I'm, I'm honestly think at this stage it's the best they, they can do. They're in a difficult situation. Um, they've come to the market late. Everybody's struggling to get strikers. Um, and if they are, we know they're backing Tuchel. It's very clear from the way they've operated. If you're backing Tuchel and you think that Tuchel's going to be around for a long time doing a Bamiyang as a sort of stopgap makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, like a two-year deal if you can get him on, limit that, you know, move him after a year, 18 months if you have to. So, all right, well, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're jumping right into Fafana and Lester's Resolve. So thank you to sponsors for uh, financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, so coming out of the ad break, Matt, we want to talk about um, Wesley Fafana, obviously, in testing Lester's Resolve. I think it's very obvious that Brendan Rodgers about two weeks ago said absolutely not. Now it's, okay, well, if the numbers are right, we're maybe thinking about it. You know, his his language is definitely softened. You assume they're probably trying to assess the market themselves to see what they could do uh, if he were to go. So, um, you know, Lester have been absolutely taken apart by Arsenal. Fofano was not great, but he's also the last player off the pitch clapping fans, it kind of seemed like. We know kind of the social media antics and the posturing and things like that. Where are we at on this one? I think um, I think between the two clubs, it slowed down a little bit last week uh, after sort of a very intense period of, of talking. I think Chelsea went away. I'm told that the sort of formal or informal bids that they've made for Fafana haven't been quite as high as maybe has been publicised. I think they've been more talking around the 50 and 60 million mark than the 60 and 70 million mark so far. So I think there is a bigger gap than maybe has been previously advertised uh, between the two clubs and, and what they value for Farner at. I do certainly think there will be another bid uh, from Chelsea. Um, and there will certainly be more talks. So the, look, the line of communication is still very much open. I'm not trying to say it's not. I just think it slowed down a little bit it's a difficult one. I mean, Leicester are going to want a lot of money. I'm told that Brendan Rodgers might only get as little as half the transfer fee to spend himself with a Fafana fee because of their financial situation and because of a few things going on at Leicester. Um, so therefore, that that makes a little bit of sense why he's so adamant it needs to be 80 or more because that probably gives him, you know, a bit over 40 or something. Um, which realistically, if he's going to get a, a good standard centre-back this late on, they're going to have to spend at least that. Um, the will of the player is clear, a bit like Anthony Gordon. It's totally clear that Fafana is desperate for this move to happen, if it can happen, really wants it to. Personal terms won't be an issue. He would come in again, a bit like Cucurella and a bit like the club are going to try and do with Mount and Reese. He would come in on a six plus one deal. They want to put them on these really, these young lads on these really long deals, invest in them heavily for the future. Um, so yeah, I, I, I still think there's a good chance it could get done. Um, I wouldn't say it's a certainty because of the, the levels, but I, I haven't been discouraged. I just think it's naturally slowed down a little bit. And it it can't go too late, though. It can't go too late because Leicester have to replace him. So this probably isn't one that can go right into the depths of the last week of the window, I wouldn't have thought. I'd have thought 
by this time, I mean, we've got a fortnight of the transfer window to run now, and I'd imagine by this time next week, things need to really start moving. Otherwise, it's going to get very difficult at that stage because surely at some, some stage, even though they need the money, Leicester would have to turn around and say, we just we can't take this chance now. So I'd, I'd, I'd imagine this next week is pretty key in that Fafana chase. All right. Well, we'll stay tuned. Obviously, serious interest on two-thirds of the parties. So we'll have to, you know, money talks for the third on Leicester's side. Uh, Conte picked up a knock. I think he reported he's going to be out for around a month or so, we're thinking. So, uh, Frankie de Jong, eh? Are we uh, thinking this is back on track? Uh, he featured as a sub in Barcelona's match, 31st minute. Uh, they lost, by the way. I kind of reveled in that. Um so, yeah, I guess with, you know, Conte's injury, looking at backups, uh, Connor Gallagher obviously came on, got some minutes in there too, looked sharp again. Ruben played in the middle. So you kind of have a little bit extra depth, but, you know, we have been linked to De Jong, and does this maybe push that interest a little bit higher now? Um, no, because the interest was high anyway, and they're completely reliant on De Jong himself. So there's, there's not a lot they can do, to be quite honest with you. Um, I think the deal is there to be done with Barcelona. I don't think that's particularly an issue. Um, I think they'll pay De Jong sort of what he needs to be paid, but they're reliant on the player. And I've always had a theory, I've not been told this, but I've always had a theory that De Jong will go very late because why would he give up on those wages that he's owed by Barcelona or give up on that situation sort of with two weeks to run? That to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. So I've always thought that that one could run very, very late uh, either way, whether it happens or doesn't happen. And that would still be my theory. I haven't been told that that's my theory of of looking in with the information we've got. So I don't think anything from Saturday particularly changes anything because the interest was as high as it could be and they're still just waiting on the same thing. There's not a lot. It's not like Chelsea can chuck 20 million more at it to change anything. They're reliant on the lad himself deciding that he'll want to leave Barcelona. And it's, I don't think it's a particularly a massive financial issue for him at the moment. Um, so Kante, certainly the early indications where it could be up to a month. I know he's, he's going to get results of another MRI scan or will already have results of another MRI scan while they have a clearer picture. And Kante, unfortunately, is a player who tends to take the full full length if not longer than of these injuries these days rather than coming back quicker I mean Chelsea will have known this I know that Tuchel sees sees Gallagher as a player in his squad who he thinks is suited most to filling into Kante because of his energy and because of his ability to get around the pitch people might not really see them as a like for like because I think Kante is often cast wrongly as a defensive midfielder Gallagher's probably cast slightly wrongly as a sort of number 10 almost which he's not he's a he's a he's a proper eight um and he does get around the pitch and make challenges and start attacks and 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 press high up the pitch as well which obviously Kante's good at so I'd hope it would give Gallagher his chance could be a key couple of weeks for Gallagher could be a key couple of weeks for Gallagher and and, and Chelsea and Gallagher because everybody says he's staying he says he's staying Chelsea are saying he's staying but if Kante's injured and Gallagher doesn't get the minutes in these next two weeks, then does he suddenly think about something before the transfer window ends? You know, I think it's a key key for him. The other problem, the other big problem about Kante's injuries, though, is that Kovacic picks up a lot of injuries these days as well. Kovacic is missing a lot of games. 
he missed out with just what was described as a knee injury against Tottenham. We'll find out from Tuchel on Friday a little bit more about that, I'm sure. And you don't quite know whether that was just a one-game thing or whether that could be longer. But Kovacic misses games now. They'd be fine, actually, if if Kante was missing two or three games here or there every so often and the, the others were always fit. But when Kovacic isn't available, it, it presents a real problem for them. Um, and it just highlights the sort of dilemma around Kante. You know, he's world-class. We saw that against Tottenham again. Absolutely world-class. They're a different team with him in the team. But you can't rely on him. His body breaks down now. He'll play two or three games. His body breaks down. He'll play 80 incredible minutes. His body breaks down. It's sad, but it's just fact now. And I think Chelsea have to accept that and plan for that. There's no point magically hoping he's suddenly going to go through a season without many injuries because that doesn't feel realistic anymore. Do you think that Chelsea might have a backup option then? Because to your point, like, while well, Kovacic is going to come back, start the timer until, you know, he's going to go down, sadly. Uh, Conte being out for a while. I know that there's been a lot of, I think, just English interest in Mateus Nunes from sporting um, he seems to be getting a lot of looks in as well, probably with because of how much success Liverpool, I feel like, have had in, in signing Portuguese players. Uh, he's going to Wolves, I think. I think it's done. Oh, is that done? I All right. Done. The, um, good old, the good old uh, time difference. Uh, exactly, yeah. I, I think he's due his medical at, at Wolves. He's He's been linked to Chelsea. Um, look, I know I said on a, a pod before, and I don't want to mention names, but people can probably make guesses if they want to make guesses um that chelsea have made inquiries about players who would fill that depth around kante and maybe be seen as some sort of long-term successor to kante they've definitely made inquiries this summer and those players so far just haven't been available to even sort of properly have talks about and make speculative bids on and probably that that's going to have to wait till next summer on those kind of players um, so I, I don't look, I'm, I'm, I'm loath to say, I don't see anyone. Cause obviously Todd is having a lot of conversations with a lot of people at the moment and Chelsea are quite hard to second guess in the market at the moment. Um, but other than De Jong, I don't see another sort of frontline first team midfielder out there that, that might suddenly come in because of a Kante injury. Like I'm a bit reticent on that just because Chelsea are unpredictable at the moment, but I, I think they personally, I think if they can get a striker in before the window ends, and if they could do Fafana, I think they'd be delighted. And even De Jong, I think they would see as a bonus. And even Anthony Gordon, even though I think that's got a good chance at the moment, again, I think it would be seen as a bonus. I think what they, they really are hoping and feel that they need to do is the striker and one more defender. And the other stuff, stuff they'd love to do. But if they do it, it's a bonus. And if they don't do it, it's certainly no disaster. And I think actually, even though Kante got injured, I think Sunday probably just underlined that a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, there's been a lot of premature talk of, I don't want to say Chelsea's demise, but there's been a lot of premature talk of Chelsea having, you know, finishing sixth and seventh this season. I still think it could be a tricky season for Chelsea, but I also still think they'll finish in the top four. And I've always said that. Um, and I think they probably proved a point to a few people on Sunday that maybe people have got a little bit carried away with thoughts of a tricky season, meaning sort of eighth, seventh, sixth. 
Yeah, no, I think uh, Tottenham was a, a big statement signing because everyone was hot on Tottenham and, and you know, being in at least the top four, if not top three in pushing. Um, so I think that was that was big for Chelsea to come out with that uh, intensity, effort, and, and honestly, tactical cohesion. That is the one thing we really haven't seen all preseason. So uh, quite happy to see that. Uh, one that just got done was uh, Cesar Casade. Uh, yeah. the, the youngster from Inter Milan will be heading over to Chelsea. Uh, again, you talk about this summer of investment into the future. Um, kind of came out of left field, but like I said, it, it sounds like this is the strategy that you're starting to understand from bullying company. Yeah, it's a very clear strategy. They're trying to buy up a lot of the best young talent um, and they're trying to get in there ahead of others. They're, they're I'm, they're working data on these guys as well. I know they're working data on these guys. You know, obviously Thomas Tuchel is very involved in this because he's very involved in everything at the moment. Um, I also think they're doing a lot of data on these guys. They've seen, I think, from afar over the last few years, Manchester City buy up a lot of sort of young talent. Um, and you might not see it always in their their sort of first team, but when you think that people like Douglas Louise, Aston Villa have, have come through that way where they've bought them in young, managed to sell them off. If they don't make it, they'll, they'll probably make quite a good profit on a lot of these guys. So it's it's not just good planning for the football side, but it's probably good planning for the business side as well. Um, and yeah, it's very interesting. I don't know too much about him. I know what I've been told about him, really. Um, people in Italy are very excited about his talent. Um, and yeah, it's it's an interesting strategy. Um, they really want to. I think it's it's very interesting how much they want to invest in youth and their own youth as well. I mean, like I say, preliminary contract talks have now been held around Reese and Mason. I think those will step up once the transfer window finishes. And the will there is to do extremely long contracts on them, reward them very highly. I think they'll both get very very high pay rises that puts them far nearer the top of the the wage bill. Um, and again, if you look back at the Dodgers model, this is again goes it really talks to the Dodgers model where they seem they do make big signings, but they also invest heavily in their youth as well. Um, and they've brought that over, and it's going to be very, very interesting. Not all these guys are going to become Chelsea first team players, that's just unrealistic. It's not how youth football works, even when you're buying them in. Um, but there could be extremely profitable it could be an extremely profitable um strategy as we've seen like i say at, at manchester city who do very well out of selling these lads who you, you don't necessarily hear have, have played for the first team but they make them 10 million here 15 million there 20 million there and then one one or two will play for the first team and then all of a sudden their value is huge so yes yeah, it's, it's interesting and it's not one I saw coming. I thought I thought this summer they would just have to concentrate on the first team because of the nature of how late they've come in. So that it has taken me by surprise, actually. Do Do you know where you think he's going to fit in with the the rosters? Obviously, the Dev Squad moving to U twenty ones, maybe at right on loan, first team. I don't. I'm sorry. It's, no it's, worries. It's just, yeah, it's too early. I've got a it's recording with Chelsea Youth, so I'll, I'll see what he's got on the docket. Yeah. He will have a better handle of that than me, for sure. And I would be, I'll be interested to listen to that myself. But um, it'll be interesting with all of them how it shakes down because, you know, again, looking at the squad of the first two weeks of the season, they're a long way from going to be in the first team squad. A lot's got to happen for them to be on the bench even. 
but they'll have a plan for them. They'll know what they want to do with them. They're very organized. So um, it'll be very interesting to see how that shakes down. Yeah, no, without a doubt. All right. Well, to kind of wrap this one up, uh, we'll go back to our favorite holding uh, anchor section here, which is the uh, thinning out the squad and seeing if there's any more departures. Uh, it sounds like Callum hudson Adoy is seriously looking at his loan options. Sounds like Todd and company only want to entertain loans for him. They still rate him. Um, but again, with all these other departures, I know Ziyech is probably a huge factor in that. Pulisic now is becoming a bigger factor in that. Uh, where does Callum's uh, future kind of stand in the balance? Well, Pulisic's future also slightly impacts on where Callum might go because I think Callum, if Pulisic were to go to Man United, for instance, I think there's a fair chance Callum will end up at Newcastle. I think Newcastle's an interesting option for Callum. Eddie Howe wants him. Obviously, they're quite an interesting club. They've got ambition. They should be looking up the table rather than down the table. I think... I personally think Callum quite fancies that move. Um, so I think there's a fair chance, if, if as long as Pulisic doesn't go there, that, that Callum could go there. Um, I don't know if Pulisic is, is slightly a bigger target for Newcastle or not, or whether they're sort of looking at the both of them on, a, on an even keel. But yeah, Callum, Callum and Newcastle is worth, worth keeping an eye on. Um, i tell you who's worth keeping an eye on outsides is Trevor Chalabar. If they sign another defender, I could well see, uh, if they get Fafana in, I could well see Trevor Chalabar heading out on loan. Because he he wants to play, he needs to play. It would, we now see that when they play, even when Aspie doesn't play, I think Reese is more likely to play on the right of that back three. Um, and, and Trevor will have seen that as well. And I, I think there is a chance of, of Trevor heading out on loan before the transfer window ends. Um, I'd imagine he'll want to stay in this country and play Premier League football this time. So that that's that's just a little interesting one to keep an eye on, I think. I think as well, few people might be disappointed if Trevor Chalabar goes out on loan, but there's no point in him staying to just, you know, sit on the bench. And let's face it, defenders, when you look at how Chelsea's roster works, even with the five subs, Trevor, if he's on the bench, probably isn't going to get off the bench too often. No. Certainly before January. No, I would agree with that. Uh, look, I heard Leicester City might need a right-sided defender. So, Leicester City, Aston Villa have got a defensive problem now. Diego Carlos is out for the season after rupturing his Achilles. Fulham are desperate for defenders. We often see a Chelsea player ending up at Fulham on loan. Um, that's quite a well-traveled path. There'll be a lot of clubs, a lot of clubs who are looking at defenders and who would, because of the season he had last season, who would who would probably jump at. If Trevor Chalabar is available on a season-long loan, there will be four or five clubs who would be very, very interested in taking him. Understood. Um, Barkley to Celtic, possibly. I mean, yeah, I've seen that rumored. I haven't, I haven't heard that myself. That makes a bit of sense to me. That going to Scotland. For, for Ross, uh, uh, where his career is currently at. I don't see him as a player who's probably going to play abroad unless he absolutely has to, and I don't think it'd probably suit him. So in terms of finding what he would deem a top-level club, but who would be interested in where he could flourish, Celtic's probably quite a good fit. I actually think, given the difficulties Ross has had, I think actually that, that would be quite a good move for him. Um, they need, he needs to get something, though. Wow. Um, and you can only see him really sort of seeing out his contract at the moment. So 
yeah, he's a million miles away from it at Chelsea. Well, uh, one random one off of that too is Josip Juranovic was potentially linked. He'd be, again, right back, 27, Croatian, <laughs> thin links. Do you know what? I've never heard of him. I love it. I wonder where Dan <laughs> pulled this out. See what happens? Like Dan puts these together and then I read it and then people be like, Brandon's pushing Ivan Tony with Matt. And I was like, I, I'm just reading the script a little bit. I have a full faith in Dan. So he must be digging on Reddit pretty deep for that one. Um, and then I'll just kind of do a Look, mix. We, um, we discussed, didn't we just, sorry, we discussed, yeah. didn't we, just before we came on the pod that I think that, that Tottenham game and the way Ruben played, look, if there's an opportunity that comes up at right back, they've clearly been looking and don't rule it out. But equally, I'd be surprised if it's a priority and something they really need to push at, given the way Sunday shook down. Um, I think possibly that that will be shifted back in their list of priorities, albeit, like I say, if an opportunity arises or all of a sudden into have to do a deal because they need money on Dumfries, then, then maybe something gets done. Um, but I wouldn't see them going out scouring the market on that position at the moment. Sounds good. Yeah, no worries there. Um, and then I'll just kind of give up the, you know, not to pile all these players in or anything like that, but between Ziyech, Keppa, um, I mean, those, I guess I'll just leave it at those. Two, I don't think we need to talk about Kennedy, Baba or Ampadu really. Yeah. Look, I, I still think there's a fair chance Ziyech wants to go. Um, Chelsea are open to it, but again, Anthony Gordon might prove key to that or, or something else, but they can't let everybody go. Um, without anybody coming in because they'd have absolutely no cover in the wide positions. So, but I, I still think there's a, there's a very good chance CH will, will find a club. AC Milan seems to quieten down, but there'll be other clubs out there. I mean, funnily enough, CH a few days ago kept getting linked to Man United and now all of a sudden it's Pulisic. But um, I, I still think there's, there's potential for, for something to happen around ZH. There's plenty of time on that. Uh, Kepa, all of a sudden Napoli and Kalor Navas as as come up a bit sort of bigger. They seem to be playing one off against each other at the moment. They can't really properly afford either of them. And they're trying to see which the best deal they can get done on either Navas or Kepa is. So, um, yeah, I, and I think I said last week, if, if Napoli doesn't happen for Kepa, I struggle to see a club out there for him. I, I was surprised even that, that they'd got real interest from Napoli. So that will be a blow to Chelsea and Kepa if uh, if Kalor Navas gets done. Although, albeit, like we said, they'll have to have a backup plan if if, if Kepa were to go. So in actual fact, you know, at least Chelsea will have a proper substitute goalkeeper for the season if Kepa does end up staying. Yeah, I get that. Uh, one that kind of hit recently was Palmieri to West Ham. Yeah, that's, that's legit. That's legit. Uh, West Ham are in talks over that. Uh, 13... 13 million plus a few add-ons. I don't think the fee's been fully agreed yet, but Chelsea seem willing to let him go there. I think the feeling at West Ham is they can get that one done. Um, so, yeah, it look, it looks like the left-back positions are, are slowly being thinned down. It looks like they'll let both Emerson and Alonso go because they're still, they're still in a situation, I think, where Alonso won't be considered because he thinks he will eventually move to Barcelona. Well, we saw Kukurea, uh feature there. Obviously looked real strong. Chilwell got minutes with the uh, the 18s. Uh, unfortunately, getting pummeled by Fulham 3-0. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, a little bit of depth out there, I feel like. Um, so 
interesting to see. We went from too many to, I wouldn't say not enough, but as you can see, flexibility amongst positions of these players that are coming in for Chelsea. Yeah, and that's interesting. Lots of the top coaches now, you know, Pep's a big one on that. You know, we saw when they signed Nathan Ake, who's not sort of a frontline signing, but the massive appeal to Pep of taking Ake to City was the fact he could play in about three different positions. Uh, Cancelo can play in different positions for them, although obviously seems to have really found his place at this kind of left back, but not really playing as a left back, almost playing as a midfielder. Kyle but Walker. Of, yeah, Kyle Walker. And, and also, yeah, Kyle Walker's a good example. Pochettino used to be huge on it towards the end that Tottenham would always say that they want players who can, that you know, they had to sign players who can play in different positions. It's it's old fashioned, really, apart from maybe strikers to, to sign players who can only play in one position. The top coaches are massive on this these days. Um, and it's a, it's a real weapon to have. And particularly the way Chelsea play with this back three, because we saw the tactical nous of, of Tuchel in that, that Tottenham game to start with Reese in the back three where he keeps going deep on Kane and Son, cutting Kane and Son out of the game, cutting Kane and Son at the game. Conte changes, it goes to front three, right, Reese is free, put him back to right wing back. He swings one in for Havertz, who misses a sitter, he scores himself. It was the perfect example of why he wants these players who can play in different positions. Now when Chilwell's fully fit, he's, he can do that on the other side as well, on the left side. Um, I, I saw in pre-season that he he will play between a three and a four within the game as well, which always completely confuses a tactics novice like me. But you, you see them play in a four with or without possession and a, a three with or without possession. And they all want to do it now. And it's absolutely vital to them. Yeah, no, that is true. I've seen a lot of that from like CFC Central and people breaking down like the four in attack, five in defense yeah. and, and overloading sides, you know, so... Exactly. Uh, yeah, we're getting there. We're getting caught up. Don't worry. We'll, we'll figure it out. I don't think we all need to go get our badges or anything. You know, we'll just stick <laughs> to being fans, but, uh, no, that's good, Matt. I appreciate all the insight. Lots of juicy stuff. Lots of good stuff. Um, again, I went even a week ago. I said, yeah, this won't be the Chelsea team that we see, you know, come, you know, beginning of September. It's even wildly more different than I even I expected a week ago. So appreciate you keeping tabs and everything. The encouraging thing is from Sunday is that the three signings look like they're going to be... I mean, Kula Bali was sensational, I thought. Cucurella was really good. I, I thought... I know he missed a good chance. I actually thought Raheem was really good. He obviously set up Reese's goal. He had a hand in getting that corner for the other goal. He will get better as well, and I think he will, he will definitely benefit from if they can sign the striker. The business they've done so far looks like very good business of players who aren't going to need time to settle. Mm-hmm. And... The recent business of Chelsea, bar a few like Chilwell and people, they've had to take far too much time to settle and it's, it's caused them problems. So I think that's massively encouraging. And I think the people that they now will, will bring in before the window shuts, I still expect one or two at least before the window shuts, again, will be players who don't need six to 12 months to make an impact. So I think we can be quite confident that the signings are going to be good signings, shall we say. Yeah, no, it's a solid track record so far. So quite excited. All right, Matt, we'll let you get back to it. Appreciate it. Uh, More updates coming from Matt, as always. Follow him on social media. Check out his work on The Telegraph. That's where all the good stuff is. Um, And and that's where it all comes out first. Anyways, until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Blue flag flying high.